you bring us in this week. Oh, excellent. I will... i got to remember the name of the podcast first. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Melissa Kirscher and Wendy Bolsby. Welcome, one and all, to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I am one of your hosts, Melissa, and this is your other host, Wendy. Hello there. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, we will be talking about a thing that we call Buttonumathon. Oh, it is more than a thing. It, oh. it, it's, a, it's a hell of a thing. Buttonumathon. Yes. Oh, take it away. Yes. Buttonumathon is a film festival or film event yes. in Austin, Texas. It is held in early December every year on the birthday or near the birthday of Mr. Harry Knowles, who runs Ain't Cool News. And he started it about 15 years ago. Yes. It's a 24-hour movie marathon. Yes. You show up at the theater, and Harry shows you stuff. You have no idea what you're going to see. You have no idea what ills will befall you. Mm. All you know is that you're going to be fed food by the Alamo Draft House, which is good food. Good food. And Harry is going to show you stuff. It might be new. It might be old. It might be devastatingly terrible. It might be <laughs> great. There might be famous people. There might be a lot of farting. Actually, there's always a lot of farting. There's, because well, that's because, you know, that, the, because you're in a movie theater for 24 hours and you're eating cheese. And, and you're eating cheese and you're holding it a little bit because you don't want to go to yeah. the bathroom during a movie. Yeah. And then there's a line at the restrooms and then suddenly you're just full of gas and yeah. yeah. It can get a little... A little ripe in there by the end. But yeah. you know, it. those of us who go every year, it's, it's hardcore. It's hardcore, man. Yeah. It's hardcore. The great thing about that numathon is the Venn diagram of the movies with the people. Because yes. Harry Knowles can only pick... Ah, how many people are in that theater? Well, it depends what theater we're in. Let's um, assume the best that we're at the Alamo Lamar. Yeah, the Alamo Lamar, I think, is around 250, 265 people. Okay, so let's say 250 people. For 250 seats, Harry gets to choose about, well, his choice, because Tim Lee gets Gets some, a few. Uh -huh. And there are always some... Seats they need to save for executive types and other guests. So, what, 175? Yeah, that's about right. So, 175 seats, and Harry gets about 3,000 applications. Yeah. So, he has a contest, an essay contest, in fact. Yes, a very long essay contest that includes, you have to make photographs, there's extra credit where you make videos. It's yeah, you. this is the, Harry gets to make us all Dance for his amusement. Yes, dance for me, my little monkey puppets. Yes. Very much so. And we dance. Oh, we dance. Oh, we dance. We dance. So Harry posts the application mm -hmm. in October. And what's there's a Facebook group. 
Yes. And what's funny is the Facebook group is mildly active throughout the year. Not a whole lot. But starting in about September, people start posting, oh, my God, I'm getting excited. And starting on about October 1st, has anybody seen the application? Mm-hmm. And then the minute the application hits, all hell breaks loose. Yes. As everybody starts working on it and posting their answers to questions and posting their pictures mm-hmm. and their videos that they've made. And it's great. The Facebook community is great. And he asked the worst question this year. What are your 10 favorite movies? Oh my God. The whole place just exploded. He has never asked that before because that's a, that's a, that's a terrible question. That's a horrible thing to ask a geek. It's (laughs) like, well, what are the 10 movies I love right now? Cause I love about a hundred movies. Don't ask me what my favorite is. Mm -hmm. How can you compare singing in the rain to cabin in the woods? Mm-hmm. You you what? You can't. <laughs> well, dead, I mean, a, dead alive, Lawrence of Arabia. You know. Yeah. Well, they're, they're both on my list. Lake no. <laughs> Placid to Casablanca. Mm-hmm. Did I say Casablanca? How rude. Casablanca. 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 Yes. So, I think you were following that Lake Placid. <laughs> Lake Placid. <laughs> I was very Casablanca. Casablanca. (laughs) I love that Casablanca. That Humphrey Bogart is, oh my goodness. Oh, he's just so tough. (laughs) (laughs) This year was the 15th iteration of But Numathon. We are blessed to actually be friends with Harry. Mm -hmm. And I mean that in both senses of the word blessed because Harry is great, but blessed because that means that Harry is more likely to pay attention to our applications when yes. Padnamathon <laughs> comes around. We don't take for granted that we get in, yeah. but it does mean that at least he knows who we are. Well, this this year was because the usual theater that Padnamathon is held in is under construction right now, he had to take a smaller theater. And so oh. a lot of people who usually get in did not get in. Oh, and we were, brutal. us Minnesotans, there's kind of a group of us that usually get in every year. And we are all we were all going, I don't know if we're going to get in this year. Oh, I don't know. Because it's a whole block of seats that he could use for other people. Yeah, a considerable block. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Someday we're going to piss him off and we're all going to get and he's shafted. And he's going to open up like a considerable section. Yeah, like an entire fucking row of the theater is well, Minnesotans and Canadians. And as I said, the Venn diagram of movies plus people. So the people aspect is oh, so yeah. fantastic. Fan- it's so fantastic, but it also means that when the list gets posted... That you read through it and you're like, yay, oh, yay, oh, <laughs> because you see people that you're like, oh, goody, I'll get to see them again. And then you're mm-hmm. like, but where is, where's so-and-so? Where's so-and-so? Yeah. I was really looking forward to seeing them again. Harry, Harry does notice people who apply over and over and over because, you know, after they apply a few times, usually he gives them a crack at, at actually getting at it at attending. Yeah. A few people get in all the time, or most of the time. I think he kind of goes in thirds. So there's like a, a third of the seats that he has goes to regulars, and a third goes to newbies and... Brand new know, people, virgins. And uh, some locals, and, you know, a th- well, maybe a third is locals, but, you know, it's kind of a... Yeah, he likes to yeah, set aside a substantial block for... Newbies, yes, because he thinks that adds to the vitality, which it does. Oh, it's totally. People come in and they're like, "Oh my god, I made it! Oh, it's awesome!" Yeah, and then they run into people like us who are like, "Hello, young Padawan." Yes, 
And, and how many years have you been going to this thing, Wendy? I have been one of the lucky, privileged few who has been going every year since the very beginning. When Harry announced this back in 1998, 99. I think it was 99. No, we could look right there on the webpage. Well, it was the same year of the first convergence, right? Mm, Wasn't it? Well, we had Harry as yeah, a guest. We had Harry as a guest at Convergence, and then I think I went, so I think it might be 99? It yeah. is 99. 99. I had met Harry Knowles at the first Convergence convention, which is held here in Minneapolis, and so I was following his website, and it got to be November, and Harry posted on Ain't It Cool News, hey, my birthday's coming up, and I talked to Tim League, who's the owner of the Alamo Draft House, and I want to do a special event. And we're going to do a 24-hour film marathon here in Austin, Texas, and you guys should come. And I was immediately all over it. Now, as it so happens, my life then was kind of crap. <laughs> I was. Yeah, we're, we're both in much better spaces oh right now. Oh, my God. I had bought a house that I should not have bought. I hated my job. I think I was actually unemployed at the time, but Numathon happened. But I happened to have an, a frequent flyer miles for the ticket, which Good. was a key factor. I said, you know what? I'm going to go to this thing. It'll be awesome. And Harriet had, had originally envisioned it as a torture festival, like how long can you stay awake? And we're going to come around and zap you with electronic fly swatters in the middle of the night <laughs> and show you crappy movies just to torture you for 24 hours. And But what happened is that Harry loves movies so much yeah. that he couldn't actually program 24 hours of crap. And so it started with Plan 9, but then in what would become a Butnumathon tradition, we got a couple of sneak previews. We got Magnolia, mm -hmm. which was P.T. Anderson, mm -hmm. and was not even on my radar and this is what Butnamathon does great. It shows a film to film lovers, and those film lovers then go out and say, oh my God, you need to totally see this movie. Yeah. And Magnolia, of course, was groundbreaking that next year. Everybody saw it. It was nominated for Oscars, and it was fantastic. And mm -hmm. I don't know that it would have been on my radar if I hadn't seen it at Butnamathon. And then there was Pitch Black. <laughs> Pitch Black. Yay! Oh, Pitch Black. I am sad that very few people will get to experience Pitch Black the way I did, which was incomplete ignorance. Nobody knew who Vin Diesel was. Mm -hmm. Nobody. And nobody knew anything about this movie, so they're like, it's a space action film, just sit down and enjoy it. And the first ten minutes are this crazy space crash. The, the entire spaceship crashes, and it is brutal. And I was sitting next to Harry Knoll's father, Father Geek, mm -hmm. and he was giggling at me as I was <laughs> flinching, grabbing the armrests, and generally going, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> and it was great. And the rest of the movie was super enjoyable. And again, nobody knew about this film. Harry told the story that he, and I think Drew McQueenie, were at the studio. The studio showed him the film. We're like, oh, we got this thing. It's direct-to-video. We're just going to do direct-to-video. And after they watched it, mm -hmm. Harry and Drew said, no, you need to release this. Oh, this is yeah. really quality stuff. And I, I want to make it clear. It's not like it's, it's not Magnolia, let's get an Oscar, but it's a solid B-movie space adventure starring Vin Diesel back before everybody knew him as Vin Diesel. And then at the end of the film, who walks in but... Vin Diesel. And I touched him. 
You touched Vin Diesel. I have a picture of me touching him. I might Ooh, post it on you the website. Ha- you have evidence of touching Vin Diesel. I, I did, touched his pectoral. <laughs> did, oh. did, did your voice drop like three octaves when you... <laughs> just near him, like, hi, you're Vin Diesel. All that <laughs> testosterone just comes through so quickly. Did, did he say Superman for you? He did. <gasps> he, he, did he did. He did a Q&A. And, of course, the hardcore geeks in the crowd were like, Vin Diesel, hmm... Nobody knows you except for me. I know that you happen to have done the voice work for the Iron Giant. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, I totally did the Iron Giant. So they asked him some questions about doing that. And then they're like, huh, huh, could you say Superman like the Iron Giant? <laughs> and he did. And we all went, Gee! yay. Gee! Uh, oh, and so we called it butt Numathon because the idea was that you'd sit for 24 hours and your butt would become numb. It's actually... I think I've mentioned to him this to him. It should be numb butt a thon. Numb butt a thon. Right, because it's it's meant to numb your butt, but you know. You know, you lead with the butt. You should. Well, that's fair. You should always lead with the butt. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, our wine pairing for this evening is uh, Trevento uh, Malbec. It's from Argentina, yeah, twenty twelve is... Reserve, and we opened this bottle as opposed to the other one because it has a shiny label. It's actually rather tasty. It's very nice. Oh, I like it. it. And again, a Malbec. Fond of Malbecs. (laughs) I do like a spicy red. Um, Is that a euphemism? (laughs) (laughs) But Namathon becomes Geek Christmas in that you're getting to watch great movies. And you're a movie geek. So this is like Christmas because you get to see some previews. You get to see some classics. You get to see things you never would have known about. So that's sort of the Geek Christmas part. But then it becomes this family reunion Mm -hmm. as people that you've met year after year that live all over the country all over the world converge on austin and there becomes this whole texting twitter facebook thing of i'm in town who's arrived yay he's here we've got to meet for food where are you are you coming and so and this is a team of like 25 people (laughs) (laughs) and so so it's it's hurting a bunch of monkeys you oh know? so Just, many oh monkeys, monkeys so monkeys many and monkeys. cats it's like monkeys west cats. side story with monkeys and cats only only it's amicable the uh, surrounding days of buttonamathon are this immersive jump in with both feet and just bathe in the social love I have to think it's weird for the virgins, right? Because if they happen to run into one of us, especially me, yeah. they get just pulled right into the deep end of the pool. I'm well, like, hi, come a, on along with me. I, I, We can take a tangent and talk about our adopted Canadians. That's a good point. So, yeah, I mean, a couple of years ago, um, it, we were in the Buttonumathon pre-energy thing, and the Minnesotans were all at a place called the Magnolia Cafe. No, it was Kirby Lane. So it was Kirby Lane. Anyway, one of the diners It in was Austin. Thursday because we hadn't done the bag stuffing yet. That's right. So anyway, all the Minnesotans, there, there are like 10 of us there. And we're all eating our pancakes. Nom, 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 nom. Because Kirby, Kirby Lane's, Lane's pancakes. pancakes. Mm. Anyway, we're going nom, nom, nom. We're talking about Bonomathon. And this young couple. Next to at, us. Next to us at the table. Next to us. We go, are, are you going to Bonomathon? And we go, yes! And they go, we are too, and we go join us, and they come. They come. We join pull us. their table over yeah. and we start chatting. Yeah, and it, it it their their names are Susan and Krister, and they're from uh, Edmonton. Was I it? think so. Or they're Calgary. From, 
I don't know. Or it's it, Canada. It's Canada. They're from Canada. It's Western They're north. Canada. They're from north. It's Western and, Canada, right? Yeah, yeah, It's not yeah, Toronto. It's I know yes, it's, it's not Yes, Toronto. it's Western Canada. It's not Toronto. I know that. But <laughs> hi, Susan and Christopher. Hi, Susan and We love Chris. you. Uh, anyway. We immediately dubbed Christopher Bruce because our social circle already had Chris Jones and my husband, Christopher Bowlesby, who has already been named Monty because we had a Chris already. So, so. when Christer showed up, we're like, I'm sorry, you can't be Christer. You're going to be Bruce. And he had no choice of the matter. Yes, and therefore he is Bruce. So Susan and Bruce are sitting at her table, and they start talking about their accommodations were less than spectacular. Like they were, they were staying with family. They were staying with family, and it was clear that their presence wasn't necessarily convenient for the family, or something like that. As and, luck would have it, and as luck would have it, Tim and Pat, Pat. Wick said, "Hey." We have an extra bed in our room at the Austin Motel. You can share with us. <laughs> so these poor Canadians who've known us for approximately 35 seconds have been invited to share a hotel room. <laughs> and they go, okay. And then they're like, we're like, what are you doing for the rest of the day? Well, you know, we thought we'd go around Austin. We'd, and we're like, no. If you're but Numathon attendees, you should come help with the bag stuffing. Mm -hmm. Because as part of But Numathon, a lot of studios and other people send swag for every attendee of But Numathon. So when you show up at But Numathon, you get handed a bag full of random stuff that is studio swag and books and yeah. other promotional items. Well, they need to get all this sorted out in advance of But Numathon. So one of the things that the Minnesota crew does is we go down early and we help get it all organized and all of these yeah. bags sorted out and stuffed. And we're like, hey, you should come to the bag stuffing. You'll meet you. Harry Knowles mm -hmm. and all sorts of other people. And you'll just become part of the But Numathon community. And they're like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so we drag them along to that and you know soon they were just part of the family we showed up at the yeah. i remember showing up at the bag stuffing and they introduced themselves to harry knowles and harry's like oh that's great and they're and myself or pat was nearby and i'm like yeah we've adopted them <laughs> and harry's like oh my god you ran into the minnesotans <laughs> they're like yeah and he's like Actually, that's great. That worked out really well. I was hoping something like that would happen. Excellent. And so Harry, over the years, has planted people near us at Butnamathon, or has specifically introduced people to us because he knows that that is our tendency to just sort of envelop like a blob any new attendee and go, come along with us and let us show you how it's done, and we will give you an instant community. Yes. At one of the By early Butnamathons, during the breakfast break, we would break for an hour and get breakfast and have a chance to chat. And during this breakfast break, the Alamo Draft House would be having some video thing playing on the screen. And sometimes it was weird, like Japanese game shows, yeah. or horrifying, like the... The Three's, Three's Company Shiza video? Yeah. Yeah, let's not, let's not explain that at that all. That was awful. I know that does not... Yeah. The okay. year... Was it, was, was it Two Towers? That was the first year I was there, so that was Two Towers. We look up, and there is this shot-for-shot -shot remake of Raiders of the Lost Ark playing, and it was made by preteen kids. Sometime in the 80s. Sometime in the 80s. Clearly shot on videotape. Like, like they couldn't get a monkey, so they had a dog. And it was... <laughs> it was great. It was perfect. 
And we got so involved with this Well, thing. yeah, because you're eating breakfast, you're getting your breakfast, you're chatting, and then what happens is this sort of group effect that, you know, first five people are like, wait, what is this? And then more people are watching, and then more, and then suddenly the entire theater, while is stopped eating, stopped talking, and they're just watching, and they're like, are they going to get all the details? And I remember yeah. specifically the moment... And, and Tim Wick. Rachel's a lost arc. This is Tim Wick's favorite movie of all time. Of all time. Period. And of he's, all time. His mind is just getting progressively yeah. blown. And and we're watching the Will of the Souls scene. Yes. And you know the Indy goes down and brushes the sand off the glyphs on the floor, and he's clearing out the holes and, and blows on it. Blows on it. And and Tim is going. Does he does he snap the rubber band of the book? Does he snap the and. And sure enough, the kid closes the book and snaps the rubber band on the book. And, and everybody in the theater goes, Wah! It was awesome. So, but Namathon put these guys kind of on the map. Yeah. Because what happened was everybody left but Namathon and went, Oh my God, there's this shot-for-shot shot remake of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it's amazing. And then they found these two guys, Chris Strompolos. Stromp or Stomp? Strompolos. Strompolos and Eric Zala. And we're like, do you know that your film is wildly popular? And then they started doing screenings, yep. and then they got a book deal, and I've read the book, and it's fantastic, and you should totally And there's buy a it. chapter on Buttonumathon. <laughs> <laughs> and so when Eric Strompel, Eric, oh, Chris Strompelos and Eric Zala were doing a screening of Raiders of the Lost Ark, the adaptation, the night before Buttonumathon, Buttonumathon 20. 12? I yeah, it was a couple years ago. It was, it was the it was the first year that Jerry was there. In fact, well, then it would be last year, the lucky number. Oh, you're right. Uh, yes, so, so 20, 2012. Yeah, 2012. So the night before, but Namathon, they did a screening, and a lot of us went because I had never actually seen it on the big screen. A lot of people had, so a lot of us went, and we met these two guys, and then Harry invited these two guys to come to But Namathon, mm -hmm. and they were like, sure, of course we would want to come to this place that made our film explode into the geek culture so the very next day as we arrive for but Numathon, we find out that harry has put chris and eric in the middle of the minnesota crew yeah. because he knows we're gonna be like hi guys let's have some fun i was sitting next to chris for pretty much the entire film festival and it was, it was awesome <laughs> it was so awesome and we got to tell them yeah. stories they're such nerds they're awesome guys yeah. <laughs> all right so but Numathon, yes. if you don't know by now is much more than the movies that play. Yes. That said, we're going to talk about some freaking movies. Let's talk about this some is movies. a movie po This is a movie podcast, people. You wouldn't. <laughs> you wouldn't know. Actually, it's a wine podcast. It's a wine podcast with the thin veneer of movies. This year's movie. So you arrive at the theater. You pay your money. It is not cheap. What is it? One hundred fifty dollars now. Uh, it was one hundred twenty. One hundred twenty. Yes. $120 for a ticket. Harry uses the money from Buttonumathon to pay to get classic films and screen them on Saturday mornings for free for kids to come watch. It's the Saturday Morning Kids Club. So they get to watch films like The Adventures of Robin Hood with Errol Flynn and all these great films. It's for charity. It's for charity. It's what totally for charity. Oh, my God. It's for the good of the children. For the children, people. <laughs> so you show up, you pay your money, you get your bag. You get your badge, and then you start talking to the people, and then they're like, okay, come on, sit your asses down, you fuckers. And then you start with the first film. This year, our first film was... Wolf of Wall Street. 
<laughs> so we got the new Scorsese movie before release. This was on my radar. I knew it existed, but I wasn't that interested. Mm-hmm. Harry announced it. I was like, eh. And then it showed. And it's brilliant. It's Well, not that that's shocking. It, it's Scorsese. And... He there is are very a master few, filmmaker. There are very few things by Scorsese I don't like. And if even the stuff that I'm not like emotionally in yeah. love with, I can't help but go, God damn, that man knows what he's doing. Yeah. And Wolf of Wall Street, you know, for all of it, it it's I wouldn't say it glorifies decadence, but it is a thrill ride of decadence. You know, you you get to the end of that thing and you want to eat a steak raw with your hands and like rend it apart with your teeth. Ah! Your adrenaline and, is up, and you're yeah. pumped, and you're and like, like yeah, I, want, I want the world! I want to yeah. eat steak, drink vodka, and fuck something really hard. Yes, precisely. People have complained that it does glorify these assholes, and they're assholes, but... but I, I don't think I, it's, it, it's not glorification. It's you're along for the ride, and they're very clearly schlubs. They are guys oh, who yeah. are making money because they want to make money, and that's what they want to do. They're, that's that's their passion, but they're clearly not nice guys. They're not something to aspire to. They're not even smart. They're not even smart, but they are driven. Yeah, they have a goal. What I took from the film, the lesson I took, and I feel like this is something that's gotten missed by all the moral pontificators, mm-hmm. is that I was watching this film about these horrible people, and I liked them. Yeah. And I rooted for them. You can't help but root for Jordan to beat the rap. Right. You can't help but be on his side of like, oh, no, they're they're tapping your phone. Stop talking. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> and you want okay. him to get away with it. And then there's that moment, this click of, wait a minute. These are the guys that wrecked our economy, and I'm rooting for them. Yeah, I bet that's how they got away with it. Well, yeah. Well, it. I think the whole key to the movie, and I think I brought this up before, in fact, is that there is a scene, the intro to the movie. It's all right there. There's a scene where Leonardo DiCaprio sits down at his desk and says, it's all about the drugs. And he leans down with a rolled up $100 bill and snorts a line of cocaine. And he goes, oh, I'm not talking about the cocaine. I'm talking about this drug. And he unfurls the $100 bill. Yes. It's all about it, money. It, and... Money is the drug, and that is what the movie is about. That It's that the money, this is what money is. It is a potent drug, and it's as potent as anything that these guys are imbibing. And we need and to that understand is, that. And that is how all of this bullshit happened. Well, and that's what's wrong with our society right yeah. now is that the 1% that has all the money... Mm-hmm. They are addicted to it. And like oh, addicts, yeah. they are never going to give it up and they can never have enough. If you were to talk to an addict and say, you've got you've got more heroin than you can do in a year, you should sell some of this and make a little cash. They're going to be like, what are you talking about? I'm never going to give up this heroin. Are you crazy? Mm-hmm. If you talk to one of these one percenters, you have more money than you could spend in a hundred lifetimes. No, what are you talking about? I need all this money. This is mine. Mm-hmm. Give it to me, baby. Yeah. And the point of Wolf of Wall Street is bringing you along for the ride so you experience that and understand that. So this year's But Numathon started with Wolf of Wall Street and like, there were confetti cannons. They came they, around with they, champagne. There was a marching band that, that walked into the theater half naked and played 
marching band music and what? And it's, it was it yeah. was bonkers. Do you know what Harry told me about that marching band? Did you no, know this? I didn't hear about the marching band. Tell me about the marching band. Scorsese made that a condition <gasps> of getting the print. <gasps> Oh my god! Scorsese. Scorsese gave us a marching band? Scorsese oh said, my god. if you want to show Wolf of Wall Street, you have to get a marching band to play at the end. <laughs> and if you can't, you don't get the film. Oh and god. I will pay for the marching band. They had to go to Houston, they had to go to the next biggest city to find a marching band and to get them to drive up to Austin to do the gig, and Scorsese play, paid for the whole thing. <laughs> Because he said, there must be a marching band. I did not know this. I want to get drunk with Martin Scorsese. Oh my god. Well, I've always wanted to do that. Now I want to get drunk with him more. What's interesting about this year's Buttonumathon, no complaint about it, but it's interesting, is that it started at the high point. It started with an emotional and adrenaline high, and then kind of just chilled slowly out to the end. Because the last film was... The Wind Rises by Hayao Miyazaki. His supposed last film but and i'll believe that when i see no more films from miyazaki and he dies yeah because he's he's announced his retirement before yeah whatever yeah whatever and his films are beautiful it's not when i say "Eh, whatever it doesn't mean oh miyazaki it means (laughs) you're gonna make more films let's be honest yeah this is a man with a passion so the wind rises is a movie that i have a lot of conflicting opinions about the the movie kind of uh melds two real people into one but it's about a, the guy who designs the Japanese Zero, as in the plane that was driven into Pearl Harbor and exploding and all that. The stuff. plane that made it possible for the Japanese to do a lot of horrible things. Yes. And it is a very lovely, beautiful, sentimental, and sweet movie about the man who designed the Zero. Yeah. And uh, I know a lot of critics have praised the film highly. But personally, when I look at the movie, I cannot decide if Hayao Miyazaki is commenting on the fact that Japan is very myopic about their role in World War II, or if Hayao Miyazaki is inside the myopia that Japan has about World War II. It's hard to say. It's really hard to say. I don't want to believe that he is himself myopic. It had not even occurred to me. I saw it as a film... That was simply talking about the passion of the creator. Mm-hmm. And because throughout the film, there are comments about this is going to kill people. And yeah. we know that. Yes, but I just want to make the perfect airplane. Mm-hmm. Because there's that one scene where the inventor of the Zero is like, well, we could solve these problems if we got rid of the gun systems. Because it's all about the weight. They're trying to solve the weight problem. Yeah. It's like, well... We could solve the problem if it didn't carry any guns. And then there's this laughter, and he's like, yeah. <laughs> oh, well. So, and, and it, you know, there, there are the, the subtle notes, but there are very few of them. And if there's a more direct comment right at the end of the film, like the very last scene, but it's not like I needed the film to demonize the guy, but it's this very sweet, beautiful, sentimental film. And then there's a comment at the end of, oh, and by the way, these machines killed people. I, mean, I guess and, I and was willing to I would, I would like to note that I would, I'd been up for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> by the time I saw this film. We had and I was enough. very tired. 
We were we had all been up for over twenty four hours at this point mm-hmm. when watching um, a very slow, languid, beautiful, lovely movie. For me, watching the film, what I took away from it was that there is this conflict with the creator and that you have to understand creators, especially the brilliant ones, the innovative ones, are myopic. And even even when it is pointed out to them, you do know what this is going to be used for. They are so driven by their vision Mm -hmm. that they're like, yeah, I know it's probably going to be used badly, but it's also going to be used awesomely. And it's a huge leap forward. And I, I just can't help it. I'm so curious to find out if it works. Mm-hmm. And so, on the one hand, we've got the atomic bomb, but on the other, we've got atomic fuel. I actually think that that is what the comet was. The name of the film is The Wind Rises. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is a deliberate title by Miyazaki to underscore his understanding mm-hmm. of these planes get used to kill people how do you reconcile somebody who just wanted to make something new? Well, you know, it kind of goes back to the idea that science is neither good nor evil. It's just science. It's how it is used that is yeah. good or evil. I mean, real genius tackled this in the 80s. Oh, totally. After we finished Wolf of Wall Street, Harry goes, I saw a trailer for this film, and it's the most unbelievably awesome trailer, and I've never seen it before, but I got a print of it. So let's watch it. And it it's the movie Harlequin, and which is this Australian exploitation film uh, made in, God, was it 1980? It was late 70s, early 80s. Well, it stars the guy who was in The Greatest Story Ever Told as Jesus. So it's after that, and that was the 70s. Yes, and it, and it stars also, you know, it stars David Hemmings, who was in Blow Up. Mm, yeah. And it's, but anyway, it's the movie Harlequin, which some people know as Dark Forces. Yes. Like me. Of all the films that played at Numathon, yeah. this was my unknown love. This was yeah. the, There's one every year that I had no idea existed, and Harry shows it, and I go, how did I live my life not knowing yeah. this existed before? I kind of had my little geek cred moment, because Harry said, I'd never seen this before. Let's watch it. And he announces Harlequin, and went, I'm like the one person in the theater who goes, Wah! Because I've seen it before. Oh! I didn't know that. I'd seen it. I I had seen the trailer when I was about 12. And I said, I have to see this. And it wasn't until about three or four years ago, I found it on Netflix under the title Dark Forces. Oh. And I went, I'm watching this. And I watched it and went, this is weird. And I love it. And the... The gothy, gothy gay leather outfit that he wears at one point. Oh, God! Fantastic! So we should backtrack and explain what Harlequin is, because it's kind of this hard-to-find film. Um, It might still be on Netflix, so if you look on Netflix under Dark Dark Forces, you might find it. But it's this Australian exploitation film based on the story of Rasputin. Rasputin, the Russian cleric who was involved with the Romanovs and famously was super hard to kill. Yes. So the Australians take this story and say, let's make this about an Australian politician who has this sickly son and this birthday clown suddenly comes in (laughs) and and does some healing tricks on the son. (laughs) 
And it kind of goes from there. And then he has an affair with the wife, and then the husband's super pissed, but the husband was having an affair, so shut your mouth. And then they have a party, and everybody's like, I want to meet this guy, because I think he's diddling your wife, and we all know he's the power behind the throne, and what the hell is going on? And you're son is magically cured but is he really and it's all just mind fuckery and he shows up he walks into this hoity-toity party <laughs> in an outfit that david bowie would envy yes oh my god oh boy yeah there's like leather and studs and tall boots and eyeliner it's amazing oh my, and eye makeup it's yeah totally... it's like eye makeup up to his hairline sort of eye makeup and there's uh. glitter it's fabulous what I really like about the movie is it It really... It, it, there are parts of the movie that are kind of ham-handed and like it doesn't really know what it quite wants to do. But it, it does do a nice, is it real or is it fake? Yeah, game. and you don't even know you, at the end. You never know whether it's actually magic or a guy who is really good at just illusion. Yeah. Oh, and he's trying to apparently teach the kid. And he's trying to teach the kid, too. <laughs> and then at the end, there's a da-da-da shot of the kid. Maybe he's being creepy. Whoa. I, I, I love that creepy is telegraphed by eyeliner in this movie. It's beautiful. <laughs> It's, it's beautiful. It's true. Now, this, this is an amazing film. If you can find it, it's named Harlequin or Dark Forces. It it stars David Hemmings and What's-His-Nose. So the next film, number three... Harry has a long-standing relationship with Peter Jackson to the extent that the year of Fellowship of the Ring, we got Fellowship of the Ring early, and that was a huge coup for Harry, huge. and it was a great big secret, mm -hmm. and only now can we admit it like years yeah. after the fact, and I was there that year, and I burst into tears because I didn't think it was going to happen, and I'm a, I am a huge Tolkien nerd. I was so terrified. Is it going to be good? Is it going to be good? I think it's going to be good because everything I've seen has been amazing. And then when it showed, I cried all the way through it because it was so mind-blowing to my little Tolkien nerd brain. <laughs> so what that means is Harry now is getting every one of Peter Jackson's films. Oh, yeah, got, every, every single one since Fellowship of the Ring we have gotten. We got Lovely Bones. We got Lovely Bones. We got King Kong. We, we've gotten all the Hobbit movies. And now we're getting all the Hobbit movies, which... <sighs> It's a mixed mm. blessing. So The Hobbit could have been two films. You might be able to pad it out to three, maybe. But my problem is that the choices that Peter Jackson is making don't make any sense. Yeah, it's... Uh, I'm crying. I found the first Hobbit movie to be utterly forgettable. Like, I watched it and I was like, eh, it's kind of fun. And then, like, 20 minutes later, I couldn't tell you anything about it except hey martin freeman was in it let me tell you my reaction yeah i did not go see it a second time that's a really big indictment that's really telling and i still haven't bought the dvd although i plan to someday <laughs> and i'm gonna buy it and this is the truth i will buy all three hobbit films extended editions and the only reason i will buy those is I want all the Tolkien material. I you're, want them as Tolkien, as a Tolkien fan, not as a movie fan. You're and, part of the problem, Wendy. But that's, actually, I, I think that that is really accurate. I think that's a really accurate statement of, these aren't good films. No. I don't want the film that got shown to me. I want all of the extraneous shit that you cut out 
because the films are so bad that adding in the extraneous stuff isn't going to slow it down any yeah, further. Yeah, that's true. But the extraneous stuff is going to fulfill at least this need over here. Mm -hmm. And the thing that pisses me off is that movie number two was a bunch of bloat where they pushed everything off to movie number three, so everything that happens in movie number three is going to be given short shrift. Yeah. Why didn't we just kill off Smog in this movie? Oh, because we wanted a dragon in two movies. Well, fuck you very much. Make a damn choice. And honestly, all I really care about is Sherlock versus Watson. <laughs> so, number four on the BNAT list this year was yes. continuing the theme of artists and their vision and the creation that lives beyond them was the agony and the ecstasy. I was so excited. You know, the 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 boon to having the smaller theater this year is that we were in a theater that had 70 millimeter capabilities. It's true. It was beautiful, which you want it to be because it is a film, if you don't know, about Michelangelo painting the Sistine Chapel. Yeah. And what it is, is a <laughs> bromance between... <laughs> Michelangelo and the Pope. Yes! Played by Rex Harrison as the Pope and Charlton Heston as Michelangelo. So and if two people ever needed to be in a gay film together, it is those two. Yeah, so if you ever wanted to see two and a half hours of those two people bitching at each other... In the most catty way. Oh, God! It is... Huh, in 70 millimeter. In 70 millimeter. Oh, it is glorious, and it's so bitchy. It is... The only thing that could have made that film better is Claude Rains, honestly. Yeah, and so, sadly he wasn't there, but, you know... Claude Rains would have upped the bitchy to 11. Yeah. The catty gay bitchy. As it was, it was at 10 and a half. Oh, yeah. It was really great. So the agony and the ecstasy, Harry announced it. I was super excited because I've only ever seen it on, like, Saturday afternoon TV. And I've never seen it. Not on the big screen, right? I've never, ever... But it's Ever. a long film, and I had to pee towards the end. I do remember that. Next up was Cheatin'. Now this Cheatin'. Was, this was interesting because it was... It was Bill Plimpton. Yeah. I fucking love Bill Plimpton. I have this... Plimptoons. Plimptoons. I grew up on MTV, and therefore, I grew up on these lovely hand-drawn animations done by Bill Plimpton on MTV. Mm -hmm. Plimptoons, these super short little tiny things that they play in between music videos. One of my favorites of his is How to Kiss. It's oh, so yeah. Ridiculous. That was nominated for an Oscar. It was brilliant. Yeah. And prior to the, the movie being announced, I saw him in the audience. So I knew Bill Plimpton had to be there for a reason. <laughs> and therefore, Cheatin' came up. And that is Bill Plimpton's new movie. And it's very Plimpton-esque. It's very, it's full length. It's got some gorgeous animation. Yes. And fortunately for me, it went on a little long and the subject matter is a little problematic. Yeah, I like, I like Bill Plimpton when he's super, super short. Yeah, I feel his, like... His feature length movies I don't care for that much. And Cheatin' is about a couple who, well, he believes she's cheating on him, but she's not really, so he goes off and cheats on her, and... No, she cheats on him, I thought. No, she goes into the room with the mannequins, and there's a photo, and he thinks she's cheating on him, so he goes off and cheats on oh, her. Oh, that's right. 
And it's so it's predicated on, hey, don't talk to your partner about what you think is going on and instead do awful things. Well, yeah, and it concludes with the woman forgiving the man for cheating, even though she didn't really do anything wrong. Which, uh, yeah. ah, my feminist gorge is rising. Yeah. Barf. But it's got some lovely Plimpton-esque yeah. animations. And it's, and it's very surreal, so there are a lot of scenes that are just bonkers in a, and that's really what Plimpton so it was, is. So it was at. very delightful and fun. Yeah. Um, and he was there to talk about it, which was great. So after Cheatin', we got Popeye! The Popeye! The Altman film. Yes, 1980, Robert Altman, Robin Williams, Shelley Duvall in the role she was meant to play. Yeah. Yeah. Except... Oh, Harry Nilsson. Yeah, Harry Nilsson score. Yeah. I... I don't like the film. <laughs> I don't. I don't have a. I don't hate the film. I don't have an issue with the film. But this was the movie. It is a long and rambling and, in a, in an odd way, way too religious to its source material. Yeah. Kind of this, you, you, you know when when the main character mumbles and yeah. that presents problems in a film. <laughs> well, I mean, when you think of the original Popeye shorts. You know, I know Popeye was originally a comic, but, you know, the, the the animated Popeye shorts where they just kind of mumble through the entire thing and it's just kind of incomprehensible. It's an entire Robert Altman film of that. Which is why I left and took some alone time <laughs> on the stairs. I, You know what? I sat through the whole thing because Jerry had never seen it. So I had to witness Jerry witnessing Popeye for the first time. I saw and there, it. And there, it has its moments. I saw it in the theater during its main original release. So it's not like I skipped the whole thing. I want to make it clear I'm not a bad movie geek. But this was halfway through Buttonomathon, which means we're now at 1 a.m. Mm -hmm. And he's showing Popeye. And I sat through the first hour. And then it started to be Popeye at 1 a.m. <laughs> I needed some space because it, this is also the point where you get a little punchy, you get a little twitchy, you've been sitting a long time, you're getting very aware of the people around you, mm -hmm. and it kind of gets a little stale in there. So I went and I sat on the stairs mm -hmm. for a while with one of the Austin locals, and we had a little chat, we talked about being parents, I did a little crocheting, I had a little like half hour mental break refreshed me. I went to the bathroom. It was awesome. <laughs> but Popeye, Popeye showed next, which doesn't keep in the theme of artists creating things except for Altman creating Popeye. Popeye. Which was made out of a mountain of cocaine, so I hear. So after Popeye... <gasps> oh God! Oh God! This! This! <laughs> this! This! Oh God! Oh God! Okay, so there was a period in time when after Bruce Lee died, there was a whole series of knockoff Bruce Lee movies. Like people named Bruce Lee, spelled L-I and Bruce... L-E-I-G-H or whatever the fuck. People who didn't look anything like Bruce Lee, yeah. but we're going to call you Bruce Lee. And, and there will be some karate chopping action or something. And it will look sort of like a martial arts movie. So and it's sort of therefore, a... Therefore, Bruce Lee movie, right? It's a Bruce Lee exploitation film that is sort of a sub-sub-sub-genre. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there... there it was a very short period of time, but oh boy, did they produce movies. And so this was one of those Bruce Lee knockoff movies. It's called The Dragon Lives Again. 
And this is some of the most bonkers shit I've ever seen come out I, of that genre. I loved it. Oh, God, it was crazy. Where Popeye is a mess. Yes, Popeye is also in this. I, I would like to note, okay, so so we have this martial arts film. God, what was the... What was the plot? Like, like oh, wait, Bruce, wait, wait, wait. Lee, Bruce Lee goes to hell? Wait, wait, And wait. what makes this brilliant is after Popeye, which wanders around and doesn't do anything, <laughs> yeah. this is a movie that throws everything at the wall. <laughs> but at least you, you can't say you were bored. Yes. So Bruce Lee dies. And he goes to hell. And he goes to hell. And, but you find out that Fake when... Bruce Lee. I will you, point out. When you die, you don't look like you. And that's how they explain that this is Bruce Lee, but it's not Bruce Lee. And so, and so while he's in hell, it is every movie like stereotype, stereotype, so, but famous character from yeah. the West. So they've got Clint Eastwood. They've, they've got fake Clint Eastwood. They have fake, fake Popeye. Fake James Bond. They have fake James Bond. They have fake Emmanuel. Yes, to get the sexing in. And they have oh my god, oh god what else? There were like seven of them, but they're all on the bad all guys these weirdo movie tropes that just all get mashed in, and then they all do martial arts, and then they do martial arts. But there's bizarre things like the fifth, the third leg of Bruce Lee, <laughs> and they make all kinds of dick jokes about about Bruce Lee's dick, and everybody wants to sleep with Bruce Lee, and it's like when he dies, he's on this beer in hell. And there's this thing sticking up from his crotchal region. <laughs> and they're making all these dick jokes. And then you find out it's his nunchucks sticking up. And he's holding on to them with a firm grip. I'd, I'd uh, like to note that The Dragon Lives Again is available on Amazon.com for a very reasonable price on DVD. And then we had sort of a... A little mellowing out point. It was about an hour long. It was a movie called The Loves of Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, but it was bookended. So we had The Loves yeah. of Edgar Allan Poe and then Digging Up the Marrow and then The Haunted Palace. Yes. So it was... the Digging Up the Marrow was a modern horror but it was mm -hmm. surrounded by classic horror. Yes. Poe horror and kind of well, Lovecraftian also, horror. Yeah, well, it was Lovecraftian with a Poe title. <laughs> yeah, Lovecraftian yeah. horror, Poe horror, surrounding this modern horror. So we had sort of a triptych of horror in various styles. Yes. And so you started with Poe horror, which is very literary horror. And but, it it, was, but it also goes into the the... The path of the artist. The path of the I mean, artist. So we're back to our theme. Cre creation yeah. and creations that live beyond us yeah. and what we sacrifice for our creations. Yep. So it's just this like little short biography drama of Edgar And it was Alpo. totally pleasant and I yeah. do actually recommend it. Uh, yeah, if you can find it. It's totally a Saturday afternoon matinee special on some third channel. I grew it, up in the it's, 70s. It's and a so lovely trifle. Yeah. I grew up in the 70s, so I have this category of films that were on at 2 p.m. on Saturday afternoons. The yes. Saturday matinee sci-fi feature, which is where I saw things like Troglodyte and, <laughs> ah, yes. and all of the Godzilla films. Yes. So I would put The Lives of Edgar Allan Poe solidly Saturday 2 p.m. Then we had Digging Up the Marrow, which was a premiere. Well, well it was a premiere. Uh, it, director Adam Green brought it, and Adam Green has shown up at Banamathon before with his movie Frozen, which we had, we have stories about. But anyway, 
Yeah, Digging we'll talk about Frozen when we talk about Bechdel test and yeah, things yeah, yeah. that piss us off as women. And and things that pick, piss us off as Minnesotans. <laughs> anyway, no Digging Up the Marrow, I liked better than Frozen. I liked it a lot more than Frozen. Yeah. Actually, this redeemed Adam Green for me. Yeah. Frozen pissed me off to such an extent, but this film I thought was totally charming. It was not trying to be a blockbuster. It mm -hmm. was just trying to tell an interesting story. Right. This is a, a found footage movie, sort of. It, it's kind of posed as a documentary. It's not really a documentary. But what I it's, like is that they, right away, and Adam Green talked about this, they set it up as we're doing an, a documentary, but we want to make it clear that it's not, so we're going to hire an actor you've seen before. Yes. So that you immediately know we're not trying to pull any kind of trick on you. Yeah, it's just a narrative. A narrative device. Yeah, it's a narrative device. And it's a movie about... Adam Green is in the movie. He plays himself directing the movie. And the the premise is, is a guy has sent him letters about how he has found this sort of underworld of monsters. And wouldn't you like to see monsters? And Adam Green says... Fuck yeah, I want to see monsters. And I so, would love for monsters to be real, yeah. wouldn't you? To which I reply, no. No. But, you know, hey. So he goes and meets this guy. And the guy is played by, I forget the actor's name, but it's what? a recognizable character actor. You can look it up. I, I can look it up. But he, and he does a great job. He's oh, it's fantastic. fantastic. Yeah. And it and it is the, is this guy for real? Is he serious? And clearly he believes this is true, but and is it real? He, and they're trying, you know, he's going out there with a couple of cameramen and seeing if they can capture this monster thing on camera. And it falls down the rabbit hole because it's a horror and, film. And they play the, is he telling the truth or is he playing me? I think he's yeah. playing me because I'm finding out these things. But wait, then this happened. And then you get some real footage that yeah. is like... What? what? And I was totally covering my eyes. I love a horror film. Yeah. Now, I want to make it clear. Unlike Adam Green, I love a horror film. I love a monster film. But I never want to actually be in one. <laughs> because I'm a woman, and I know what happens to women in yeah, this Yeah, horrible things happen to women. Horrible things days. happen to women. I was fascinated by the role of women in this movie, especially hearing Adam Green talk about it after the film. His wife shows up in the movie. And she is always in, like, a bikini with a, like, shirt draped over her. Or, like, in a state of half-fun dress just walking around her house. Just and coincidentally. Fair enough, you know, I wander around my house in states of deplorable undress. But I wouldn't do that if a camera crew was sitting at my house filming me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the... The Q&A after the film, Adam Green did bring that up in that he had gotten comments from Frozen that the woman didn't get naked enough, which is funny if you've ever seen Frozen. And, <laughs> and so therefore, yeah, he, there encouraged, was a comment. he encouraged his wife to be as scantily clad as possible in this movie. So to For no show. reason whatsoever. But just to shush up those people who are like, I wanted to see some skin. Because after Frozen, which is about people freezing to death on a chairlift at a ski run. That's right. Freezing to death on a chairlift in the middle of a blizzard at a ski run. I wouldn't get naked in that. The comments, there were comments about bitch didn't get naked. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> 
So I feel for Adam Green on that one. And I yeah. actually, after the film in the lobby, I gave him props for, yes, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. It was just so Oh, my God. So anyway, digging anyway. up the marrow. I don't, when is it coming back out? Has it been released? No, uh, what we saw was an unfinished print because they hadn't finished the special effects So yet. I actually quite enjoyed Digging Up the Marrow. It's mm -hmm. a solid B horror movie. It's got, That's a lot of fun. It's got a different take on it. It's original in its concept and execution. I do give it a thumbs up. You should seek it out. Bringing Up the Marrow was followed by The Haunted Palace. Haunted Palace with Vincent Price. Vincent Price, which oh. had a Poe title, but was actually a Lovecraftian short story. Yeah. So it yeah. tied all the way back to the lives of Edgar Allan Poe and provided a nice bookend to our horror triptych. Yeah, so uh, yeah, Haunted Palace opens with like a part of a poem from Poe, and it has a title from Poe. But it's actually the story of the case of Charles Dexter Ward. Yes. From H.P. Lovecraft. Sort of. <laughs> Mostly. Yeah, you know. In the there's, way that there's, such a, are. there's a woman in it, therefore, it's not entirely the story from Lovecraft. Oh, Lovecraft. Oh, Lovecraft. The only time you have a woman in your story is when she's actually a man. <laughs> <laughs> so, Vincent Price being excellent at doing yeah. what he does brilliantly. Mm hmm. Both of the things he does brilliantly. The thing I love about Vincent Price is that he was actually very good at being sort of kind of sweet. Yeah. And romantic. Mm -hmm. But then he was really good at being kind of creepy. Yes. And you get both of these in this movie, which is super fun. He's possessed by an evil painting, and they're trying to raise the dead, and there's an unspeakable horror in the pit. It's, mm -hmm. it's total Lovecraftian loveliness. Yes. It, it is absolutely delicious, and it was so much fun to see on the big screen. And this was a great sort of, oh, God, what time was it? 6 a.m.? It was about 6 a.m. in the morning at 6 a.m. in We're like, ah, that's a surprise. Yeah. When did we do slap shots? We got, oh, we got slap shots. Was it after Dragon? Somewhere in there. Okay. We did, okay, before we get to this next film, we're going to talk about slap shots. Be I will talk about slap shots because this emerged when I was at Fantastic Fest. You go for it. I previously explained Fantastic Fest. Fantastic Fest this year, when Jerry was staying at George's house and learning about the greatness that was George, there was a thing that started at one of the after parties called slap shots. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a ritual <laughs> by which two people face each other. Each has a shot. Of alcohol. Of alcohol. One person says, my turn. That yes. person. So if Melissa and I were doing slap shots yes. together, Melissa would say, my turn. Melissa would take the shot, and right after she finishes getting that alcohol down her gullet, I slap the shit out of yes. her. Yes. Yes. So she gets alcohol followed by a slap, and it wakes her up, and gets the adrenaline rushing. And yeah. then it's my turn. Wendy says, okay, my turn. Wendy shoots the vodka and Melissa goes, smack! Yes. And Jerry and I smacked the fucking shit out of each other. <laughs> I was... Did I do it with my husband? I think we were kind of pussies about okay. it. But then Wendy went outside into the lobby with Nordling okay, from so Andy Cool. Slap shots happened earlier in the evening. Yeah. 
and then right before the wind rises. So we're skipping ahead now. We're missing the 11th movie yeah. or whatever. Whatever the fuck it is. So right before the 12th movie, Nordling, we're standing having a chat in the theater. And Nordling says, I know what the last movie is. And I said, shut your whore mouth. <laughs> and he said, I'm just saying I know what it is. I'm like, I will slap the shit out of you if you don't shut your whore mouth. And he's like, fine, you can slap me. And I said, okay, Melissa, come here. I'm going to slap Nordling. So I set my camera to rapid advance. Because I have a sexy camera that does rapid advance. Like, that sort of thing. And we're in the theater, and then we realize the lighting is bad in there, and the angle's yeah. not good. So, so we move out to the lobby where the lighting is better so we can photograph this this thing. The so shot I, your warm mouth slapping event. <laughs> we're like, well, this isn't going to do at all. We want to get good quality film of this. Let's move. Yes. <laughs> we want to document this for posterity. So we go out to the lobby, and I'm short, so I'm standing on a set. Yes. She, she, she's on a box. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing the Robert Downey Jr. special. <laughs> I'm up on a stair so I can get a better angle on Nordling. <laughs> but at this point, I'm hopped... <laughs> I'm hopped up on adrenaline. And Melissa's standing to the side. She's like, okay, I'm ready to go. And I'm like, are we ready? Are we ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Now, when I did slap shots earlier in the night with my husband, I regretted that we kind of both pussied out. I'm sorry, Nordling. I'm still apologizing. The adrenaline coursed through me. And when they said go, I slapped the ever-loving shit out of Nordling. And this series of photos, it starts out with Wendy with her hand back... And then she starts to slap. And and during this part, Nordling is smiling. Because he's a very pleasant human being. And he's a darling, a... darling man. I love him so much. And he's smiling and smiling. And you can see her hand coming toward his face. As he's and still then, smiling. And then you can see her slap the smile off his face. It's amazing. <laughs> and suddenly he's not smiling anymore. And he recoils in horror. <laughs> So anyway, if you're up at 3 a.m. some night with a friend, try slap shots. <laughs> and next up at Butnamathon was the... <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. This... Okay, so when we were talking about sometimes Harry wants to torture us? Tim League. Tim League. I blame Tim I'm League. I'm talking to you, Tim. You motherfucker. Fuck you, Tim. Tim has been responsible for a lot of films that I have been very unhappy about knowing I have watched. After The Haunted Palace and Before the Wind Rises. So this is the penultimate film. Penultimate? <laughs> like, penultimate. <laughs> penultimate. This is key. Penultimate. This, so Tim League comes out and says he has something for us, and the rest of us go, oh, God. Oh, sweet oh, no. Jesus. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Please, Harry, not Tim. He, he says we're going to watch a Category 3 Hong Kong film. Okay, which explain is, Category 3 Hong it, Kong. It's porn. It's porn, okay? It's porn. So he says, you remember the movie Big? <laughs> you know, the one with Tom Hanks. The sweet film the, the with... The sweet film with... You know, Tom Hanks is a boy who suddenly turns into adults. And this is the Category 3 Hong Kong film that is based on Big. I have to say that this film made me reevaluate Big in ways I hadn't considered. 
I always thought Big was kind of creepy. This made it clear exactly why it was creepy and in how many degrees of creepiness mm. you were watching mm. in terms of Big. So, the fruit is swelling. The name of the film is Fruit is Swelling. And actually, it's a softcore porn. I want to make that clear. I was nowhere near un as uncomfortable with this film as I was with Beneath the Valley. Except the for all the pedophilia and... Yeah, I mean, that part... Well, let me be clear. Okay, wait, wait, wait. wait. You know, well, this, this is a whole audience going, am I going to be jailed for watching this? There were a whole lot of people who bailed, who were not willing to sit through it because once it became clear what the subject matter was, yeah. they were like, I can't watch this. I'm uncomfortable. I need to leave. Which I had the same experience when they showed Centipede Horror... Yeah. When Harry was talking about, oh, there's going to be centipedes going in vaginas. I was like, yeah, not going to watch that. I'm going to leave. So I'm not going to judge those people, but I decided to sit through it. Now, as a parent, one of the things that happens when you have a kid is whenever a child is endangered in film, it becomes incredibly hard to watch. So there were moments where it got, you know, a split second away from me going, I got to leave. I can't watch this. But then it would back off. Mm-hmm. So all the people who went out into the lobby, I was able to tell them, honestly, no, really, it wasn't that bad. Because the premise of the film is an eight-year-old girl. Yeah. An eight-year-old girl suddenly gets changed into a... Eighteen? Eighteen-year-old girl. And she likes this boy, and she starts hanging around with him, and he thinks she's 18, so he keeps putting... Well, boy-man. Boy-man. I mean, an adult. Sexual male. moves on her. Yeah. And, and and she's still a kid. She's yeah. still a kid, and she doesn't really understand it. And they really play it like she doesn't understand what's going on. So even though she's in the body of an 18-year-old, you are very uncomfortable with the fact that this is an 8-year-old and sexual things are about to happen to her. Mm -hmm. And there is an attempted rape. That was, yeah. that was that was the icky. most that uncomfortable. Was icky. But I will say that the film never goes there. Yeah, I was impressed that they they actually dodged that bullet. They dodged it very well. I I got really uncomfortable. I'm like, if this happens, I'm gonna be super not happy. Oh wait, no, you stopped it. Okay, that's fine. Mm -hmm. So it danced that line, and in the end, it was sort of. Sweet and charming. And sort of like the sex scene from Showgirls. With yeah. the pool and the flailing and... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... It, 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 that was actually the scene where I left the theater. It's like, all right, I know it's going to happen. Fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> and I went out to the So 95% of the movie is total softcore porn. Sex happens, but you don't see penises. You don't see vaginas. It's all people grinding against each other and moaning. Okay, fine. You can see that in any R-rated film. Yeah, it's late night showtime. Yeah, it's totally fine. The very ending scene, still no penises, no vaginas, but she's now actually grown up. She goes and finds the man that she loves, and now that she's an actual adult, they can actually have sex. They do have sex, but they have it in a pool, and it's the most uncomfortable <laughs> sex ever. ridiculous. He's like waterboarding her while fucking her and it's just no woman would enjoy that and she goes and she gives him a blowjob underwater which that doesn't work anyway so that's the fruit is swelling and then, if you're into bizarre softcore <laughs> porn it's one of the better examples of the genre 
And then we finished with The Wind Rises. Which we already talked about. And then we left the theater and we took pictures and then we all went to go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. And that was Bud Numathon 2013. <laughs> we won't end this on the sad porn film. We're going to end this on the praises of the Alamo Draft House. So the Alamo Draft House has figured out how to serve you alcohol and good food while watching a movie without taking away from the movie experience. Yes, they they have ninjas that work with them. Yes. Wait, and, waiter ninjas. Yes. So you you sit down in your movie seat and there's a table in front of you and you have a menu and you decide what you want and the movie starts playing and you write what you want down on a slip of paper whether it be beer or a lovely pasta, or a, a burger. burger, or dessert of some delicious type. And you put the little piece of paper at the front of your table. And then the ninja sweeps by without you noticing. And they crouched, take, crouched low so crouched as not low. to bother you. Yes, they, they're invisible, and they, they sweep away the paper. They and sweep girls. by, they grab the paper, they stop. Now, underneath this bar table in front of you is a very low-level orange light. They hold the paper under that light and they read it before they leave mm -hmm. to make sure they understand what you want. Yes. And also, if you didn't write it down your seat number, they write it down for you to make sure that the food comes back to you. They check it. They ask you any questions very quietly. Excuse me. Yes. And then they whisk off into and the And then eyes. off they scurry like little... Benign cockroaches. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then about 20 minutes later, they come back with beer and food and whatever you wanted. And they just and put they, it in front of you without even you. talking just, to you? Whoo. It's and, brilliant. And suddenly food and alcohol appears in front of you and you enjoy yourself while watching this lovely movie. And it's fantastic. Yeah. And the Alamo Draft House has a severe case of cinematic love for weird events and exploitation films and classic films so the cinema the Alamo Draft House is always doing events mm -hmm. that are amazing like they'll do a spaghetti western night where they serve you spaghetti the Alamo Draft House is franchising not franchising they're just expanding out beyond Austin which is great but I want one here in Minnesota yeah 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 no yeah. fair okay I gotta pee I presume this is the end of the podcast. Thank Two you hours for, later. Thank you for I, joining us on this. <laughs> thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. New episodes are up every Thursday. You can find us at xanaducinema.com, and you can follow us on Twitter at Xanadu Cinema, and on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Dracula! There was Dracula! There was Dracula! Oh my god, I forgot about Dracula! I can't believe this wasn't a fever dream.